What is going on, my friends? I hope you are doing well today. The team at TRE wants to say thank you so much for all the support. Thank you for joining today. This is the Real Estate Podcast, and we want you guys to do us a solid. If you don't mind, can you help us get the message out? We believe that real estate can be for anybody, and we believe there's opportunities for people to grow with us. So if you can, please share, subscribe, like, comment. Thank you for being here on our journey, and we are going to continue to add as much value as we possibly can and try to shake up the industry. Let's dive in. So alignment is critical because that it just makes it so we're working together, pulling together. Now, how do you create alignment? There's a few instruments. One is I believe fully and have in every business I've ever done is that everybody who works in the company gets some form of profit sharing, options, equity, access to an essentially intellectually and financially ownership. Because if you, you always say, well, you know, I want people to act like an owner. You know, the simple way to do that, make them an owner. Sure. So I'm a huge fan of alignment through ownership. All right, guys, we are here. Welcome to the Real Estate Podcast. Matt Typhi, Alex Kaufman, and I am extremely excited. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I like to follow business. And man, Bruce Linton in the house. And Bruce, in my opinion, is one of the ultimate entrepreneurs. He's done a lot. I, I really uh, look up to the things that he's doing and how he operates. And every time he gets on to talk, I'm just fascinated. Uh, so, Bruce, thank you so much for coming on. We're excited to have you on our podcast today. Well, you, you exhibited one of the most important characteristics, persuasion and persistence. Right? You, you reached out, I think it was on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And then you get a little hook in. And once you had a little hook in, then you set a second hook. Next thing you know, I'm filled up with hooks and you're pulling me on air. So good job. <laughs> Thank you. And, and that's one thing that I wish entrepreneurs knew more about. I know you can probably testify to this, but everybody's so short term and they just reach out once. And it's like, if anything you want to do in life, if you just stick with it and you're consistent and you provide value, there's a good chance you're going to be able to go get that done. And I know you uh, would believe, you know, agree with that. Yeah, 100%. And you have, um, there's variations on the theme, right? You actually had an authentic story. You said, I know the space. I play this trade this way when you did that. Kind of wish I hadn't exactly, you know, it wasn't my perfect combo. Um, what do you think is going to happen? And so you already started having a hook into me uh, versus, you know, I get a lot of LinkedIn that if I actually need anything from Shenzhen, China, I probably have like 150 people from there who make uh, various vape devices that'd like to get to me or, if I happen to need any kind of web page development, I probably have 2000 people who would like to help me with that, but those aren't very good authentic reach outs, right? Like, so like, what's your angle? Yeah. Life is a big game of playing billiards pool. Yep. You got to think about like, what's my angle on this? Yeah. I love it. Well, Bruce, one thing we want to touch on, we're sitting here in Austin, Texas, we're building our real estate company. And I know you have a lot of thoughts on this, but sitting back, being an entrepreneur, locking yourself in a room, you, you know, that's what people say, hey, you know, go in there and create the next Google. What is your perception on, um, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and getting started and, and how to build and build a team and all that? But uh, if you can do that, you should. But like, I don't know, myself, I lock myself in a room, depending on what meal it's before, I will spend most of the time thinking about where am I going to acquire the food I'm now thinking about after the first five minutes. Um and if I'm in your city, then I'm already starting to parse through like, which, which way am I going with whether I'm barbecue or not and stuff. So uh, most people can't actually 
intellectualize a whole new idea. And don't be hard on yourself. Like, um, like less than the 1% of 1% can do that. But to me, there's a ton of ways to get business opportunities to self-identify. And what I mean by that is they, they basically present themselves in a way that not everybody's yet seeing it. And so my first and favorite one is um, the biggest thing that affects everybody on the planet that creates business opportunities that nobody looks at is something boring called public policy, right? So I don't care if it's public policy on whether or not you can buy a gun, whether or not they're going to import oil from a country, whether or not there's going to be a tax rate. Like, look at the migration patterns in America. A ton of that's not just driven by weather, it's driven by tax policy. And so if you're in that real estate business and the housing business, and you start to see the tax policy being a big difference between, say, California and Texas, you want to own as much land as you can build on, as many units as you can, because a whole bunch of people who can afford them are going to migrate. Mm -hmm. Just guessing, right? Like Elon wasn't the first. And so like public policy, if it's out of whack, out of balance, will always create tidal waves of opportunity. There's a tipping point and then everything goes that way. So the reason I got drawn into the cannabis space was simply that the perception in society was entirely different than the rules, the public policy. And you know, somebody's going to move and when they do, everybody's going to go, thank goodness, because this has been ridiculous. I can't enforce the rules. Why do I have such stupid rules? But you know, you saw the same thing. My first career was in uh, data communications. How did banks transfer data around? And that public policy waves was a judge said, you can't have monopolies, right? You, know, you used to have like, uh, you know, Pacific Bell and a couple of these huge companies, they controlled everything. And as soon as they made competition, if you could make any piece of equipment that could make it possible for the upstart competitor to battle the incumbent, you know what happened? Both sides bought it. It was like a weapons upgrade and it was massive. And so um, public policy is one of those things where if you buy the newspaper, don't actually, once a week, do yourself a favor. Buy a hard copy newspaper, super hard to find. You're going to have to figure out where they are because it's almost like a Where's Waldo these days. But you know what hard copy newspapers don't do? They don't use algorithms to show you all the same like things. And so, oh, that's right, sir. Um, so the effect of that is that if you read through the hard copy newspaper, you get a whole bunch of disparate ideas and you start putting them together in your brain. And that's where the business opportunity comes in. It's all about to me, what, what rules are out of step with reality? Got it. So that's kind of, is that your process of kind of understanding in general, like coming up with a new idea in your brain and then, and then you'll go all in at that point. Like, that's what I understood you kind of did with cannabis. You started looking into it more and more and figure out the opportunity. Yeah. I couldn't believe everybody wasn't starting one in Canada, but it was so obvious that it was going to be. Um, so for example, all of the owners of all of the pharmaceutical chains in Canada in 2013, 20, late 2012, said, we will never, ever sell cannabis to, as a medical product. Yet, if you, there, these hearings were about having a medical system. Well, can you imagine what terrific news that is if you're an entrepreneur thinking, so I don't have to give my product wholesale to the pharmacy so they can sell it retail and take all the profit. So just little things like that when you're actually watching the public policy, because public policy always has a place where they present it and what's happening. So it, it's you say, well, I don't like to do that stuff well you can take it smaller like you know county by county they have rules that are changing when a rule changes what happens is it changes it's like watching little streams of of water flow when the rule changes it undams an area and opens up the flow of water which is cash sure well and here's so like I, I 
I love them. I, the reason I got into psychedelics immediately on the heels of cannabis is they had even more stupid rules, more absolutely absurd rules for psychedelics, psilocybin and things than they had for cannabis. Yeah. And so when you see the rules are so stupid, the science is so compelling, you say, well, there's going to be a mismatch. So that's why I was like the first funder, uh, you know, first couple of folks we put the cash in to create MindMed was if you're going to do it, you should do it on science and you should go hard and raise cash and then let the scientists spend the capital to create the outcomes because nobody wants to buy psilocybin. What they want is the outcome in the right amount that causes the purpose they're seeking, the outcome. So whether or not you want a microdose or macrodose, people want to buy outcomes and you can't get to the right outcomes until you spend the money on science to know. Yeah. Well, here's one thing that this is making me think of, and it can allude to the, to the next question. But I remember that you said on an interview, you heard Rob Sands talking that they were going to get into cannabis and you directly reached out and that led to a $4 billion investment. And so that, yeah. uh, that's kind of ties into what well, I don't want to crack you. I think it was about 4.4 billion, but who cares? Round it down to 4 billion. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, I guess my point was you were taking knowledge from the world. Like you just, you're an independent party. You didn't know him. You just reached out, made that happen. And then to my next point of, of capital, like you, you're, we're a master of raising capital. And there's a lot of ways that you've uh, presented this to us where capital is scared and, and it's, there's a ton of money out there to go get. And, Love to touch on that for entrepreneurs that are listening. Well, two things. So um, the first one was, so Rob Sands is one of the principal family members that owns Constellation Beverages. And they you know, think Modelo Corona, uh, Corona number of beverages. Um, everybody else who is in the beverage alcohol space, and I tried to approach a handful of them to say, listen, you should invest in us because if this happens, we're going to get a, piece of your cash, your cash flow, your revenue stream, why don't you join with us? Kind of like instead of being the dudes who own the railways saying trucks and transport trucks are dumb, railways are good. Why don't you say transportation's my business, not trains or trucks and buy both. Yep. And so my pitch was to all these booze guys, nobody's buying booze, man. They're buying an outcome. It's a fun Friday night. That's what they're buying. Maybe I'm a fun Friday night too. Why don't you invest? They all said no chance. Hated it. So Rob Sand had made a public comment that was on the record that said, maybe we should, maybe we should be in this. So you quickly get on LinkedIn. A bunch of us are looking around. The only guy we could find was a guy named Andy. I feel bad. I forget Andy's last name. Big, tall guy. Very nice guy. We reach out to Andy. Andy interacts a little bit, interacts a little bit more. That's how we got the first um, about 400 million in was the, the year prior to the 4 billion was because they thought it was interesting. They wanted to take about a 9.9% position. So that what that did though was caused our stock to go up quite a lot concurrent with things in the market changing because what Constellation did was validate. They were a strategically important entity. Someone who knew more about fun on Friday nights than any of the other sources of capital said, this is a good thing to do. Which leads to your second question, which is, there's a zillion trillion billions of dollars out in the world. How come none's coming to me? Well, it's because it doesn't like you. Now, if you can't get money, it's not because there's not lots of it. Like, as far as I know, pretty much all the water that was ever on the planet is still on the planet. So there's no scarcity of water. You're just in the wrong place if you're thirsty. With cash, it's constantly being introduced, right? The last president, the current president of the U.S. has probably added three, four, five trillion dollars 
to the total amount of capital. So if you're getting none, it's not because it's scarce, it's because it doesn't like you. So how do you make it like you? Um, first, if you get a strategic investor, cash says, I'm not afraid. Second thing is I see a lot of entrepreneurs and I, I did 16 rounds of finance to do that company. I think I've done about, I don't know, I should add it up someday. It's 35 rounds of finance across all the business I've been involved in. But in Canopy Tweed, we did 16 rounds of finance and everyone was progressively at a higher valuation than the prior one. And you say, well, you must've built a ton of value. Yes, we did. But you know what we also didn't do? Um, we didn't try to have the highest possible valuation at the beginning. Because you know what? There's zero prize. The difference between, suppose you go out to raise money, you have this terrific idea, somebody else says it's good. And you think, man, I think I could push it up and, and get somebody to, be, to value $75 million before they put their 10 million in. Or they're happy to put it in at 50. So now what you're arguing about is $10 million on a base number of 50 versus $10 million on a base number of 75. So in neither scenario, if you're the majority owner, do you lose control? And so if you go for the higher number, what you've actually done is said, well, I'm doing it because I'm afraid of dilution, right? If I put 75 and add 10 on, it's less dilution than if I do it on 50. That's the argument people make, and I believe they're wrong. What you want to do is use the number that allows you to continually to build value. And if you're worried that if I gave you $10 million on a base value of 50 million, if you're worried it's too dilutive, what it tells me is that you don't actually have a clue what you want to spend the money on to make it worth 200 million. Right. And so in either scenario, if you took it from 50 or 75, 200 million, it didn't really matter too much that you diluted a little bit, but you got momentum with investors who are super happy because sometimes what happens is 75 stays at 75 and becomes 65. And now you got a big problem. Sure. And so a lot of folks are, they'll, they'll use the argument that I, I really, I hate dilution. I said, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And you said, what are you crazy? No, because if you give me a dollar, I think I can make it into $10 of value. Right. So that's value creation, not dilution. What I don't want is to not have the dollar. Yeah, absolutely. For the for that first strategic investor on the project that you're bringing in, is there anything specific that you're looking for within this person or within this uh, entity to come in and make this first investment? Yeah, good question. So I don't want them to take too much of the company. Like I'd like them to come around and say, take like 9.9% .9 because they're not going to take over your world. But they are going to say to all the people who follow, you know what you're going to be explaining is I do blah, blah, blah. And this sector expert, somebody who's actually ideally a name brand with some entity that's credible, they know more than you do, Mr. Money or Mrs. Money. They already put their money in. So I have this great idea and it's already validated by them. Would you like to like join? What, what does that say? It says the risk of you being wrong is way less than if you try to become an expert in everything. You're following an expert. And I found strategic, when I had a tech company, hard as hell raising money, I get a strategic investor called Entrust, which was a security company. After that, bang, 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 everyone wants to invest. So you're just, you're just trying to, money's very uh, skittish, mm -hmm. right? Like picture money as being like maybe a, a fearful little rabbit, right? Money survives more by running away than it does by the actions it takes to increase its power. And so it keeps surviving and growing slowly over time, has a bunch more babies. The next thing you know, you got rabbits everywhere. 
to me, what you have to do is not sneak up on money. Don't scare it. So part of the way you get a strategic part of the way you get capital is if I think I'm going to need you, because when you're raising capital, right, the, when you raise 2 million bucks for your first thing or hundred grand, 500 grand, whatever it is, you tell all the people, you know what you're doing. And some of them have more money than you thought and they put the money in. Then when you need to add a zero to the amount, you can't go back to those people because they don't have that much money. So you're always looking for, it's like going through the jungle. You're looking for your next vine. And the best way to do that is you start setting things up where you start broadcasting what you're going to do to a larger group of people. Family offices are the best source of capital, in my opinion. So family office occurs when somebody gets super rich and then instead of working, they invest. And as I advise my kids, I said, if you ever meet a young lady and you get in the discussion, what's your dad doing? He runs their family office. I said, take time to be nice to her. <laughs> Find out a bit more. You know, family offices are great investors. It means that they've, they've got the cake now and they're looking at how they make these decisions, but they're much more entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. So that'd be like, go from friends and family to family office, family office. Before you know it, you're into bigger pools. The strategics are like the constellations. I'm not a big fan of venture capital. I realize that's not popular, but venture capital has a broken model, right? They try to, you're in the real estate business. You know what, if you if you get a venture capitalist who's gonna invest in you, they've, they've invested in five just like you in their mind and other geographies, now they're gonna tell you how to act like them. Sure. Well, what if things are different? What if you have a vision that's different? Like they, they try to consolidate and repeat where family offices recognize you know what? You got to listen and learn and, and sort of support the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Can, can you talk a little more? Cause we're living this firsthand with us. Like I'll give you a quick example, but we've bought properties and we've cashed out, you know, pulled our money out. And now the value has gone way up and the banks don't want us to pull any more money out, even though there's a good deal. They're like, well, you guys got no money invested. We're like, yeah, I know we did a great job. And it, it makes me think about what you said of like, you know, banks have been around for, for thousands and thousands of years because they're that skittish capital in a sense. They're more protecting their capital. But when you said kind of come up on them slow, can you talk a little bit more about uh, how you perceive that? Well, so like um, if, if you're going to go at a bank or even a venture sort of world or an investment world, typically you're going to have to go for a management committee or an investment committee, right? You're going to have to say these are two good people and this is why. But isn't it easier to go there and say that I've been tracking this company. They, they gave me the forecast and they worked with me for the last 12 months. And for the last three quarters, they've been on schedule. Their spending's been under, their, their revenues have been above. I've seen a pattern of behavior that I can tell the bank or the whoever we should be involved. Who gets the money? Mm -hmm. The one that's So the sneaking around. up process is giving them enough information so they can build a file that's thicker than two meetings over four days. Because mm -hmm. that, that is a very critical, and people will call it relationship. If you're playing golf with your banker buddy and not actually laying down track on all the business forecasts and the formality, you're, you're just playing golf. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's really good okay. wisdom. So start slow and build it. Yeah. Well, and even like, you know, you'll have um, investment banks. So they're, they're all quite similar, but think like a Cantor Fitzgerald or a Cowan or any of these guys. So they're the people that are the intermediaries between a business and what they call the buy side, the people with all the money. And so, you know, people will tell me, well, I have a real, I want to work with uh, such and such an investment bank. I have a really good relationship with them. And my response is I would recommend that you get therapy for what your perception of reality of re relationships is because here's how it actually works. 
the relationship exists between the investment banker and the person with all the money. We are today's victim. And our job in being today's victim is to minimize how much we are victimized because they're going to bring tomorrow's victim to that same show and the next day another one. So when you show up, what you want to know is why me, why this cash, what am I willing to take? Do I want warrants or not? Like you try and make sure that you get in, get the cash and get out with the least ongoing harm. And so like, I think your relationship concepts, so the best relationships you can have are probably with board members when you start building a company with boards and the rest of them, you work with them, you get along with them, but recognize like, I can't be buddies. I, I, it's not that you're, you have no animosity towards them. They're doing their job very well, but their job is to get the best deal for the people who have all the money. Got it. So how do you work with that? Well, you show up and have the best answers. You have the best business model and you try not to hang around too long. Cause the longer you hang around, you know, you, you sneak up on them slowly, but if you're trying to do a financing year in week five with the same negotiations, you are in the process of getting completely uh, destroyed in how, how these terms are going to work out for you. Mm. I hear it. And That's banks, like, do you guys not find secondary lenders are a little bit more thoughtful? Like a bank is going to have ratios. They're going to want to keep you guys in the thing. The secondary lenders might charge you an extra two points. But if I can get my money out of a project, pay a little extra interest on that project if I had to, and I can service it, and start another project. Yeah, that's from that's where the money comes from a lot of the times with us secondary lending. Yeah, that's really um, good, Bruce. Now we we uh, we hear you, and that's good advice. Um, last thing I want to touch on while you're here. Um, now I'm a huge uh, canopy guy. Like I I was I, every time you spoke, I was so excited, and I also you know like you said, I I uh, I'm a big fan of the plant, right? And um, it's really kind of sad to me. I'm sure it hits home even more for you, but you were leading the industry and you were, you were making moves that people were following and you kind of got pushed out. And, um, you know, obviously you built something great and looking back, I'm like, man, th this industry would have been different with just you being more involved with canopy. I really believe that. And I just kind of curious, uh, what you learned through that process and also how you view the space in general. Cause I know you're still very involved with, with multiple companies, but um, just how you think about cannabis and, and the future of it in this world. Yeah. So sort of two questions there, maybe three. Um, I knew when the big check was coming in and they wanted to hang onto the steering wheel by having control of the board. The reason you do that is sometimes you're going to want to make a turn that I wouldn't agree with. And they're still going to be able to make the turn, which usually means that they turn in a direction you can't see and don't want and you go flying out of the car. But knowing that, I still got in the car, let them in the car, took the steering wheel, because if you're worried about being thrown out of the car in that kind of scenario, when somebody wants to pay $4 billion for about a third-ish less of a five-year-old company, then you're worried about your job, especially if the company needs capital more than you should be. Um, I do think that um, I hate seeing how they've lost market share. So the number one thing I'm always thinking about own the market. You must be number one in every category, number two, or just absolutely go back to work. And so when they lose market share and you lose sales momentum, what happens is there's nothing you can do to fix that. And what I mean by that is you can't save enough money to catch up on, on operations, to catch up with the diminishing revenue stream. And so it does, it does hurt me and bother me. 
Um, we probably would have lost some share if I was running it, but I think we probably wouldn't have lost the same share. And the reason I say that isn't because I'm smarter, but because I would have retained the team that knew the game. And so when I, when I go clunking out of the door, cause they did a sharp turn, a whole bunch of other people clunked out the door. And so ultimately the, the folks there are keen and new and stuff, but, um, it's hard to drive really fast with this vehicle you've taken over in that kind of scenario and keep getting to the right spots. So I do, I do feel badly for the people who are still there. And I do feel badly that, um, you know, you just didn't have a chance to keep going at it because uh, it's the most fun thing in the world is to drive as fast as you can. Yeah. Um, and so that, that part for sure. And I, at the end of the day, I, I feel like in some ways, if you said, tell me who's talking, I'm not the Lorax or whatever, but who's talking for the plant now? Who's talking for the sector? Right. Who is the spokesperson that rationally explains what has to happen next? Because if somebody tells me again, Oh, federally legalizations in the next two to five years. I've been hearing that for 10 years. And what I haven't heard is what the hell they actually think it means. What do you mean when you say federal re regulations? Like FDA, not FDA, state by state, not state by state. Uh, what tax rates can occur? What's going to be like, it's like saying the government's going to show up and make everything better. And it's happening in America where you got a whole bunch of states that don't usually say the government arriving makes everything better. I find it very hard to understand exactly what people think is going to happen. So I think there needs to be a rational explanation of this is what we seek, demand, and should have, and that we get that in the minds of people and they demand it. Um, that would be probably something that could have happened. But I'm optimistic for, um, I'll call it exp exploration of potential. Because right now, like people are still super happy that we can actually, the pre-rolls have been improved. But that's yeah. not like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, okay. Um, but like, I think there's an opportunity actually to work through a lot more of the potential applications of the plant. And I, I'm a broken record on it, but I, I still find it hilarious. In Canada, we still have no way that a dog can access cannabis, yet everybody who's not a dog can have all they want. Mm -hmm. And so like just the whole animal care space, geriatric care, we watch COVID occur. You know, a lot of people who are old live in a way that's not super fun. Um, and there could be a lot of geriatric applications that could be a lot more thoughtful. And so I just, I think that there's going to be extensions um, to different parts of life and different types of animals that are very exciting. I think co-treatments are going to be very exciting. And I think a lot of the science is being done in Europe. Um, I, I wouldn't take your eye off the ball. Like when Germany, when Germany says we're having a party, you know, the rest of the European platform is going to start having a party. And that whole population is as big or bigger than the entire American population. And it will be a party. And so like, it's going to be interesting to see what starts to happen with places like that. Yeah. So like, uh, I think, you know, like who would actually like, I could see a lot of people going to Germany. I'm just not sure who's actually going to come back and on the schedule they planned. Right. There's going to be beer tents and cannabis halls. And like, I could see Germany all of a sudden picking up a lot of momentum. It's like, you know, it could become the, the Colorado of Europe because they move first on having a good rec environment. Mm -hmm. That can work yeah. out pretty well in taxes. If you have yeah. what, 82 million people living in Germany and a whole bunch of people nearby, that could mm -hmm. be a pretty good little side business. So who's, who's the spokesperson? Are you going to, you're going to take back the microphone? Yeah. You <laughs> don't have you, credibility Bruce? unless you're running, a, if you're running a company and you have credibility. So like I see Irwin, um, trying you know he's he's speaking up a bit more about what he wants to achieve um you know when you think tilray um I, in the u.s you know it's i haven't 
there hasn't been as much eagerness to be visible. And I'm not sure, you know what I mean? People come and go jumping up and down, but like, you know, it's very important to, um, I don't care if you're on Kramer one day and Fox News the next, you got to find a way to do that. They won't have you on. It's funny. I know from doing the circuit, they won't have you on with the same topic the same day, but you can come back the next day with a new topic and do the different one. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that's, um, and the, whoever does the spokesperson thing, they have to actually start telling everyone, this is what we expect and need out of federal legalization for these rational reasons. Like, let's define the term, not just the time. Yeah. That's good, man. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's sad because I know you would have, I know you would have done some things like you wouldn't be sitting around and canopy just sitting there and you don't even hear anything. And they just, it's really sad to, you know, obviously they're tied in with constellation and maybe yeah. that's the whole deal. Just, you know, let constellation take over, but they're not doing anything to get investors excited by any means. Not even close. Yeah, I, don't, and, um, I still own a chunk, not, 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 not a majority by any measure. Um, not even a significant minority, but it, it's more to me. Um, I didn't think about anything else for six years. I mean, waking up at three in the morning, everything was going together in your brain. You're thinking about it. So it's like making something for six years with every second of your thinking and every capacity and bringing all the best people. It's sort of hard to watch it slow down, right? You've, it, and, and I think they have, they have what it could be to win. Um, I just, it's always a bit challenging, right? Like the majority of the board members are directly employed by or sit on the board or are related to Constellation. So I always wonder like, what are those boardroom conversations about? Yeah. Like how hard are they pounding on management? Like, I don't know. I would fire, like if you guys work with me and you come to explain to me quarter after quarter where you're losing market share, you're not going to come back too many quarters in a row. Right. Somebody else's turn. Like we can't lose market share. No, that, you know what I mean? That that's absolutely winning at selling means you can then win at everything else. Yeah. I love it, Bruce. Well, uh, let me ask you this one more question. Um, what are ways that uh, we, and, and give us a challenge if you can, we or our listeners, how can we add real value for you? I want to, I want to, uh, you know, take the entrepreneur path and, and get uh, plugged in with you to help, help you out. Like, are there any challenges or things that we can actually do to provide value for you? So as you, the number one thing I have is that I don't, everybody reaches out directly without trying to put filters on things. So usually it's an entrepreneur with a thing they want to do and they'd like me to look at it or try to look at it. But if you've got people in your network who are already in something, they're working with them, but they're not, they're, they're kind of at an arm's length so they can see why it's good and see why there's some issues. Like being part of the filter system to bring me what they think is the best, not everything. Cause I want to lean in on, you know, probably another 10 projects this year, but, um, I don't want to look at a thousand. Sure. Um, so like actually doing a little sifting to get to the really good stuff is super helpful because when it's a good one, then you can immediately engage and within a week, you know, you got your capital organized to go in, you got your time frame for working with them and away you go. My biggest thing right now is like I got a thousand things to look at and I'm trying to find 10. Sure. Um, the other is like part of it is I used to advise everybody if you really like a space. Even if you had to take a job cleaning the building, clean it super well before you know it, you're running the building. I find in the uh, campus space, you may have a number of entrepreneurs who have a specific idea that they want to do on their own. 
I find it a lot easier to keep working on an idea in your head, get in the space at any of the companies anywhere and really sharpen it because it's hard to be right on the target right now when you, if you're not in inside a cannabis business. Mm-hmm. So that's more like how to help themselves. But uh, if people sift through and they see one, I'm still like uh, Bruce Linton on LinkedIn and I try to keep up with it uh, reasonably actively. Um, but I, I just trying to find 10 out of thousands, a lot of work. I hear you. Well, that's good. We will, uh, we'll work on doing that and, and try to help out. Last thing, uh, what, are, what are a few things that you've held true to yourself as an entrepreneur? Maybe quotes or sayings or just you know, something of, of value that, you, that you've stuck to that have helped you along your career or that you're, you, know, you recently learned or anything like that. Two things. Uh, one goes one way, one goes the other. It is the most important word with everybody in the company for me is alignment. So alignment is critical because that it just makes it so we're working together, pulling together. Now, how do you create alignment? There's a few instruments. One is I believe fully and have in every business I've ever done is that everybody who works in the company gets some form of profit sharing, options, equity, access to an essentially intellectually and financially ownership. Because if you, you always say, well, you know, I want people to act like an owner. You know, the simple way to do that, make them an owner. Sure. So I'm a huge fan of alignment through ownership. Um, on the other side, one of the things I've learned over the years and it's taken time is I've never fired anyone too soon. Okay. I, you know, you agonize over it, you work on it, you work on it. But if, if they're not fitting in and they're not lining up and the skills, you're never going to want to give them as much ownership. You're going to be a little bit kind of like, shit, this is the underperformer to have just to sit, be, but when you fire people, it's not like you idiot. It's you're the idiot who hired them. It's your fault that you picked the wrong person, not their fault that they are the wrong person. So like get over the fact that you were incompetent at hiring. Yes. Okay. I was incompetent at hiring. So that doesn't mean that I keep all the money for being incompetent. It means when they, you dismiss someone and they leave, you give them a complete comprehensive package and say, I got to get better at hiring because this firing thing costs a lot of money. Yeah. But like, as long as you're, you never going to fire somebody too soon, but it's your fault that you had to fire them. I don't care if they stole from me. You should have done a better background check. You should have found out if they're like hooked on something and they got to take all the money out of the till so they could pay whatever they're hooked on. Sure. Shame on me for not figuring that out. So fire up and pay up. Love it. Take the responsibility on yourself. Wait, they, oh, they snuck in the, no, you picked them dummy. So it's your fault. Yeah. Now deal with it. And I have that talk with me all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, Bruce, it's it was true. A, yeah, no, hey, we uh, we'll take that advice and we'll put it to use. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm gonna fire that dumbass. No, the dumbass is the guy who hired him. <laughs> so deal with the dumbass. Come Own on. It. Yeah. You're the man. We really appreciate you and uh, love uh, you. Kind of leading things and making you know difference and all the advice you've given us here. It, it means a lot. Okay. Well, thank you. Keep at it. Look forward to getting down to Austin. All right. right. Come on with it. Thank you, everybody. Real Estate Podcast. Bruce Linton. Uh, We had a great time here. Hope you guys have a great day. Thanks.